I asked Brandon, can you put one of the comfy chairs up there before you take a nap? Because oh. let's be honest, that's what he's doing. Yeah. And he looked super confused and was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, can you bring a comfy chair into that room so that she doesn't have to sit on a metal folding chair while she's in active fucking labor right, right? <laughs> and he's like he like super confused and started to get kind of pissy and was like what like he wasn't asleep yet it didn't wake him up from his nap he uh-huh. was just laying down uh-huh. and like like i don't understand what's so hard to understand about this <laughs> like, just get a fucking chair and put it in there please damn after a while he's like oh a computer chair and i was like yeah a comfy chair yeah whatever that means to you something that yeah if you were a woman in labor one of the more comfy chairs that we have that's not a metal folding chair (laughs) and he's like i thought you wanted the recliner up there i was like i can't bring the recliner oh my god (laughs) in what fucking scenario would i ask you to bring a fucking yeah bring the couch up would (laughs) you oh that's amazing well i appreciate it my baby's head appreciates it also yeah it's (laughs) It's nice. It's nice and cushioned. You guys, I'm basically laying down while we record. <laughs> <laughs> She's basically giving birth while we record. Yeah. Actually, that's my goddamn. I guess we could just slide right into it. Yeah. Well, the baby's <laughs> going to slide right out. So. hey <laughs> Is I'm like uh, 98% sure I'm in active labor right now. <laughs> and I have been for like two days now. Yep. And it sucks. <laughs> yeah. You poor fucking soul. Yup. Props but, to you for coming all the way out here to record, though. Hell yeah. The podcast must go on <laughs> plus I was like we're, we're, we're for sure gonna take away our uh backlog reserve yeah, yeah reserve of episodes I thought we were gonna have to use it today because I have been pretty miserable but it comes and goes like it's always the middle of the fucking night I'm like for sure go time put the bags in the car it's about time to go to the hospital but the hospital won't take me unless one my water has broken or two contractions are like five minutes apart and they're like real fucking contractions where you have to stop to concentrate yeah those are the only two scenarios they take you yeah for labor Which is i mean terrifying i know obviously if you're dying they'll take you but <laughs> that's the they'll take me in and then be like you have to go because you got to go labor at home so there's no point in me going down there and so they've been like every 15 minutes apart it'll be like an hour 30 minutes 15 minutes and i'm like i'm fucking ready i'm dying i'm gonna hop in the shower so at least i get one shower before this baby's born yep and then all of a sudden they'll stop and i'm like uh, excuse me, it's been like six hours of this shit. <laughs> then all of a sudden you're going to stop and now we're not in fucking labor anymore. And so now is one of the lulls. Or yeah, now is one, one of the lulls. <laughs> so I could actually get my ass down here. But right before coming here, I almost died in Target. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a baby there, but you know, we're just going to make it happen. I wonder if you had a baby in Target, if you'd get like free diapers from Target for life. Ooh, probably not. Hmm. We pretty cool. I saw so many pregnant women in Target, though. Really? Yeah. It's the place to be. Yeah, it is, I guess, if you're a pregnant lady. It's every basic white girl's dream. Yeah. Target. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, I know it is. They were all basic white girls. <laughs> and they're all cute. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> you're like, you're lucky I showered. Yeah, you don't know what, you, what you're in for. Or maybe Which you do. is why I showered today. Because I was like, I might have to drive her to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> So I, I actually showered this I don't, time. I don't know why I was so concerned about coming over here because I was like, what if I go into labor though? <laughs> like I'll have a car here and I don't have any of my things. Yeah, that's what you said. We're going to have two cars at the hospital. I'm like, all right, you fucking psycho. Like that's what you're worried about? 
about not about being in labor. Like, I'll take your car back. Jesus. <laughs> I'll bring your car back to your house. Your Did, husband will be there too. I didn't want to leave home base. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd have enough fucking warning with this baby anyway. I know, right? But, so this started like three days ago on Friday. And I got fucking back labor, which I don't know if anybody has ever had that in your life. But in my life, no one has. No one's talked about it. Holy fucking shit. I thought I was dying. Yeah. I'm glad it went away. I didn't know that it could go away. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the baby moved. Yeah. Well, that's what I did. I got on all fours and I kept like rocking around on my bed. And Lee walked in and he was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I read on the internet because you can't take a deep breath with back labor. Yeah. Like I read on the internet that if you do this, it'll maybe make the baby like move around because you get back labor from the baby pushing on some nerves and shit in your back. Yeah. And then it'll stop the back labor. And so I was doing that and I am not shitting you and I'm not being dramatic. I felt something like I don't know if it was the baby moving or what, but I felt so much relief and I could like tape deeper breaths. It still hurt. It still hurts now like to take too deep of a breath. Yeah. But it was so much more comfortable. It fucking worked. And then that's when I started getting better. Like it took like another day or so, but at least I wasn't dying. But I kept calling. Well, I didn't keep calling. I talked to my doctor about it and we did all these like like kidney scans and everything and she's like nothing's wrong with you like put a heating pad on and take some Tylenol Good and rest luck. yeah and I'm like okay I could do that it's just gonna suck and then it got so bad that I was crying and I called labor and delivery and I'm fucking telling you man like they won't take you for anything because they're just like yeah you're in labor it's gonna suck yeah <laughs> and the lady was like take a hot shower and I'm like fuck you yeah Thanks, fucking Karen. Yeah, I'm going to take a shower. I think I'm dying right now, but I'll get in the goddamn hot shower. That'll help. Fuck you. Oh, Oh, my God. Oh, a hot shower. I didn't know that would stop this immense fucking pain. (laughs) Yeah. Is that all I have to do when I'm dying is just take a fucking shower? Oh, my God. I was so frustrated because I was like, why won't someone just fix it? Yeah. Or like, can I come in and you guys give me a shot of something? Because I am dying. I literally felt like I was dying (laughs) and then it went away and it got better so there's that so here we are but I keep having contractions and they're real bad oh god I am not looking forward to that I just want to get induced I know now I'm like oh man induction was so much easier than laboring at home everybody wants to labor at home because they're like oh you're so much more comfortable but I didn't know that labor could just stop (laughs) like yeah like, I thought once it started, it was all fucking hands on deck. Yeah, go time. Yeah, but it keeps, like, going, and I get to the point of, like, okay, I should probably wake someone up, and we should talk about this, and then it just stops, and I'm like, okay. And then you feel achy and shitty. Like, I feel like I have the flu. Ugh, that is the worst. Yeah, like, my body's, like, all shocky, and I keep sweating profusely, and I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck? And like it feels like hurts. I feel a baby's head coming out of my hoo-ha right now. Oh, my God. So everybody out there looking to get knocked up, it's beautiful. It's definitely not a trap. Do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a trap. Okay, Aaron, what's your goddamn? Well, mine is also super bad and just awful, and I'm in the worst pain of my life. I have, like, 47 bug bites. <laughs> <laughs> you poor soul. Did you call the doctor? <laughs> you know, I didn't because I figured they're just going to tell me to take a hot shower. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might work for you. <laughs> I know, right? What? How? Why do you I don't have know. bug bites? I don't know. We went to Steph's graduation, so we're outside at night, but also I had pants on and a jacket on, and I have fucking bug bites everywhere. Oh, my God. You're going to get the fucking Zika, Zika virus? Yeah. I know. I know. I thought about it, but... I don't think it's in San Diego right now. Hopefully not. 
Yeah. I'll pray for you. Thank you. <laughs> but also, like, my pants were skinny jeans, so I don't know if the fucking mosquitoes' beaks are longer now or stronger. <laughs> they're, like, made of steel titanium. Yeah. but Is were... titanium steel? It's just titanium. I don't know. Metal. <laughs> they're made of metal. But they were poking through my skinny jeans. I had a jacket on. It was a thin jacket, but it was a jacket. But they were poking through that shit, oh, too. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm all itchy. <gasps> Maybe you got bed bugs. Don't fucking say that. Maybe you got scabies. Ooh, we got chiggers. Chiggers. <laughs> That's what Brandon keeps calling them. That's what my dad calls them. <laughs> it's such an aggressive word because it's way too close to the other word. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we always make fun that our dog has them. The dog's got chiggers because he scratches all the time. <laughs> so we live in that. fucking Alabama. <laughs> I know, right? I don't even know what a chigger is. Everyone in Alabama is like, fuck you. <laughs> But yeah, I live in San Diego and that was like part of the deal was that we don't get fucking bugs. Like, yeah. We, I shouldn't have to deal with this. <laughs> You're so serious right now. Why is this part of life right now? That's I'm so, so mad weird. about it. Maybe they really like pregnancy blood. Maybe. Apparently I'm delicious. Yeah. So. Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, so mine pretty much compares to your labor story. Yeah, basically the same thing. Oh Back my gosh. labor, mosquito bites. <laughs> same, same. Uh, I actually almost forgot. I have two goddamn. Ooh, what is it? I'm not even shitting you. This has been the craziest maternity leave of my life. I've been <laughs> off for two weeks and it's been insane every fucking day. But my kid got sick oh. and he got a rash all over his body and he had a fever for oh, yeah. like four fucking days. Does he have the so fucking measles? Yeah, I was like, for sure he has the measles. So we eventually <laughs> took him into urgent care because even though I vaccinate him, other fucking people don't. Yep. <laughs> so, That's my worst fear. I'm like, I know. oh, you motherfuckers. I know. Well, I, to be honest, I didn't even think of measles until we were in the urgent care and the lady asked, like, is he vaccinated for measles? And my heart dropped or my Ugh. stomach, whatever organ is supposed to drop in that Your scenario. Your spleen just <laughs> fell to the floor. <laughs> my pancreas <laughs> left my body. <laughs> and I looked at Lee and I was like, Google pictures of measles. Like, what the fuck do those look oh, like? Oh, yeah. But they're Compare like more aggressive rash. red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely didn't have measles. <laughs> I actually wasn't concerned at all for his rash or his fever <laughs> until it came back. <laughs> but anyway, so we take him to urgent care. And while we're in the waiting room, my son who has been a daddy's boy this whole fucking <laughs> pregnancy. You know, he's like all curled up on daddy with a fever and he's like, oh, miserable. And he looks up at me and he reaches out for mommy and he says, I want mommy. Oh. And I'm like, oh, baby, come here. Finally, I get to hold you. The moment he got in my arms, that kid vomited all <gasps> over me. What? All down the front of me, all down my arm, all over the fucking waiting room. No. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no. And he's like, you know, still convulsing like he's going to vomit. And I don't know what to do. So I put my hands out like a cup, <laughs> which it doesn't matter at this point. It's just fucking everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my God. But they had to bring us like a bunch of wet rags, Ugh. which that doesn't clean puke off of you. Like it wipes it off my skin. But my clothes, yeah. I had to do that whole visit with puke all over me. Oh, that is disgusting. And then, <laughs> then he, he won't stop talking about it. I puked in the waiting room. <laughs> You're like, you puked on mom. Oh, my you God. little brat. <laughs> Anyway, so that was my that was my goddamn before I went into fucking active labor, <laughs> which is, you know, trumps it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's gross. All right. Are you ready to talk about some murder? I am so ready. Well, welcome to episode 43. 43. The big 4-3. You and me talking about murder. murder. <laughs> 
Speaking of, you want to hear my murder story? I would love to. All right, let's do it. And then let's talk about murder. Hey, yo. <laughs> Just kidding. We You're were, gross right we now. We were all, yeah, you don't want to come <laughs> anywhere near this shit. There's a baby's head down there. <laughs> Can't fit anything in there. No, there's no room. Gross. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, my murderous story for the week is the story of the Snowtown Murders. Ooh, Snowtown. Snowtown Murders. Where's that at? It's in Australia. Oh, okay. And interestingly enough, I'm going to tell you about a lot of murders that happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it was kind of like this murderous group and they did some serial killing. Ooh. Interesting that it was a group of people. But they didn't really murder in Snowtown. They murdered mostly in like Adelaide, Australia. But for some reason, it got dubbed the Snowtown Murders. Right. And I'll tell you why at the end. But here we go. All right. Lay it on me. Okay. Adelaide, Australia. There's a lot of fucking names involved. Okay. So bear with me. I'll try to make it as easy as possible. All right. John Bunting is in his mid-20s. And he's described as a stocky, psychopathic man who lives with his illiterate and partially blind wife. Okay. This is your first introduction to... A stocky, psychopathic man. <laughs> yeah. How would you describe him? <laughs> I don't think I would have been friends with this gentleman. <laughs> he had a lot of friends, which is odd. For being stocky and psychopathic? Yeah. I guess he was, like, charismatic. I don't fucking Ooh, know. you forgot to mention that. <laughs> and charming. <laughs> oh, my God. This is awful. Anyway, as a kid, he was known to drop insects into chemicals, and he would watch them die. Oh. And he would also... This is so fucking weird. He would dig tunnels under his home until his dad would come out and yell at him. And would have to tell him to stop because he's like, it's too dangerous for you to dig tunnels under our house. What? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, I am in fucking active labor and it hurts to giggle, but this shit gets me. Like, the dad what? is like, um, you're going to crack our foundation. <laughs> he's like out there like, God damn it, John. Stop <laughs> digging these tunnels, you weirdo. <laughs> uh, listen, a guy died in my fucking backyard in like a poorly dug Trench. tunnel <laughs> but it's like a tunnel without the top oh that's true yeah so that's probably why he was like stop that's too dangerous yeah you'll suffocate in there john i'm just over here like what the fuck you digging holes again <laughs> who got that deep though like is the ground very soft in adelaide i don't know i feel like here you'd be like ah oh, i got two feet in and there's a rock yeah it's because we just live on granite everywhere yeah. <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay so he had also been abused as a kid and he killed a friend's dog Ooh. Became fascinated with anatomy and began working in a crematorium with human bodies. Okay. Which is what a crematorium is, but I guess, you know, to specify of the human variety. Okay. He would kill and skin cats. Ugh. And Ugh. he, like, bragged about how much he enjoyed slaughtering animals while he worked at a meat company. Oh. So he was just, like, priming himself to, you know... He was just Murder. like, look, a bunch of dead bodies. Now I'm going to go to a meat company and learn how to butcher stuff. Exactly. Gross. And as he grew older, he got into Nazism, as one does. Oh, good. And he had a strong... You really need a good hate group to channel yeah. all of that. This guy, literally everything that you could imagine fucked up about someone, he had. Yeah, sounds <laughs> like did. it. He had a hatred for gays and pedophiles. Those were like the two I mean, areas of life that he was like... I, I too hate pedophiles yeah but gays come on man yeah i don't really give a, a single fuck what you do in the bedroom yeah so this is our ringleader of this murderous group great sounds like a solid guy 
<laughs> exactly. You already said he's psychopathic. So, <laughs> yeah. so he's a, a perfect ringleader. Mm-hmm. Good foundation. John eventually befriends his neighbors, Barry Lane and Robert Wagner. Mm-hmm. Robert was a 13-year-old boy who was illiterate, and he always had issues at school because of that. And his father was really strict and used to beat him regularly. Ooh. So not weird that a 13-year-old is hanging out with this, like, mid-20s guy. A little weird, but... Yeah. It's about to get weirder. This guy hates pedophiles, yet he's like, come here, little boy. Yeah, let's hang out. Well, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't touching them or anything. Yeah, but that's like a step, the next step. I don't know. I know, but listen, this is where it gets weirder. Like the weird neighborhood guy that your kid goes to hang out with? I'd be like, no. No, stop it. Here's where it gets weirder, though, because Barry Lane, the other guy that he would hang out with regularly, the Mm -hmm. other neighbor, he was a 40-something gay man, (gasps) and he was a cross-dresser, also known as Vanessa... Ooh, and Vanessa. Robert, the 13-year-old, and Barry began a relationship. What? And Robert was only 13 at the time. So he's a pedophile and gay. I fucking guess. Okay, so he becomes friends with the very thing that he hates. Yes, exactly. Okay. Barry's the one that's gay and we're speculating pedophile because uh, 13 years old and they're in a relationship. Yeah, that's pretty pedophilic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If uh, my <laughs> teachings have taught me anything. I don't know what their relationship consisted of, but I would tend to agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so Robert and Barry, the two that were together... They would often go over to John's house to hang out. And while they were there, they met another man named Mark Hayden. Okay. So these four people are kind of the murderous group here. These are the main names. Okay. All of these men would hang out regularly. And they began to notice that John had an obsession with cruelty and vengeance. Oof. And they all started to fall under John's spell. And they began to believe in the hate that he preached. Even though Barry was gay and a pedophile. Yeah. I don't get that part, but maybe the Nazism? Yeah, I guess. So I for mean, what is I... he not preaching the gay part? Like, maybe he's just keeping that part to himself because he's maybe. like, well, I still want followers. Maybe, yeah. And it later states that John only tolerated Barry because Robert was with Barry. The and little he was, kid. Yeah, and he was good friends with Robert. So that's the only reason he really tolerated Barry. Okay. Supposedly. So, all of these men start to follow this leader, John, and his crazy-ass beliefs in Nazism, whatever. hmm And they all start kind of doing what he says. And he starts saying, let's murder people. Yeah. Logical. Okay, so the first victim, Clinton Trezise. He was a 20-year-old male, and he had a rough childhood. He grew up in foster care, but he grew up to be a happy-go-lucky guy, and he was, like, really excited to move out into his own apartment in Adelaide, Australia. Okay. And to start his own little independent life. Mm-hmm. That's not a very condescending. His own little independent <laughs> life. I didn't mean for it to sound like that. <laughs> to start his own, you know, he like had yeah. a rough childhood. He's like, hey, I'm going to switch this around and go start life. Yeah, he's doing it on his own now. He's exactly. excited about it. So he gets an apartment and he becomes friends with some of his neighbors who were Barry and Robert. Uh-oh. Yep. And then in August of 1992, Barry and Robert invite clinton over to john's house and while he's sitting in the living room he's attacked from behind by a blow to the skull with a blunt object he falls to the floor and his attacker who was john he continues to administer blows to his head until the back of his skull was fractured (gasps) and due to the force of the blows the front of his skull which was like against the floor it was fractured also because oh he was hitting God. him so hard in the back of the head that it like the pressure of his head being slammed on the floor broke the front of his skull also. Ugh. Jesus, right? That's awful. I, they just crushed his head. Exactly. 
And John doesn't even know him. And John's like, fuck this guy. Yeah, come here. So obviously Clinton dies from this. And I guess John felt that Clinton was a child molester and that he needed to die. But there was absolutely no evidence to suggest this. Do you know who else is a child molester? Maybe that Barry Lane guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. So Barry and Robert, along with John, they pick up Clinton's body now that he's dead and they throw him into their truck and they drive him north to some random farm and they dig a shallow grave and bury him. All right. Clinton's sister starts to notice that he's gone missing after a few weeks and she files a missing persons case. Good. But Clinton's brother doesn't think that he went missing. He's just like, oh, he just ran away. So there's kind of like mixed, yeah, you know, feelings in the... So they're not like pressuring police to go no, find him No, they're or just anything. like, where the hell is he? He must have ran away. Yeah. For some reason, when his sister had filed that missing persons report, the report was never actually filed oh. by the police. And it wasn't until three years later <gasps> that his mother went and filed a missing persons report for real. And it actually got filed. Three years? Three fucking years. What the hell? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe because she just assumed it was filed, you know, already. Yeah. And then goes in to be like, hey, any update? And they're like, on what? Yeah, three years later, any update? Right. Oh, my gosh. Hey, they said I was going to get a call on Wednesday, but that was two and a half years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Can I please speak to your supervisor? (laughs) I realize that they don't work here anymore. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Right? So, August 16th, 1994, two farmers discover the skeletal remains on their land. Ooh. And this is two years after Clinton's murder. But the missing persons report hasn't been filed yet. Yeah. So it takes another five years before the police identify the remains as Clinton's. Oh, my gosh. By the time Clinton's remains are found, John's little group of outcast people have grown like a lot more. They've done a lot of murdering, which I'm about to tell you about. Uh Uh-huh. And they've added some crew members. Great. So there's a woman that joins the crew, and her name is Elizabeth Harvey. And she moves in with John and brought her two sons with her. And now her two sons, they were sexually abused by their birth father. Mm -hmm. And the older brother, in turn, had sexually abused the younger brother. Uh Uh-oh. So they were kind of like a fucked up little family. Yeah. And the younger brother's name is James Velasquez. Okay. And he's going to be another important key player in this, like, murderous group. Okay. The younger brother? How old is the younger brother? I think he's, like, late teens. I think he's 16 when he moves in together, but when shit gets real, he's, like, early 20s or late teens. Okay. So he's younger. He's impressionable. Yeah. So James starts to gravitate towards John, who was so against pedophilia and all this stuff. Yeah, because he was abused. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so enter victim number two, 26-year-old Ray Davies. He lives down the street from John in a rented RV, and one day his landlady comes over and confronts Ray and says, hey, I saw you molesting this child. What? I know you're a pedophile. You need to get the fuck out. Whoa. Yeah. Was pretty, he? Pretty intense. Well, Ray denies it, and he's like, no, 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 crazy lady. Like, calm the fuck down. Yeah. But the landlady reports him to the police and also tells her neighbor, who happens to be John Bunting. Uh-oh. Yep. About Ray and how he's allegedly a pedophile. Once John gets wind of this, he starts to recruit the help from Robert, the 13-year-old. And they go to Ray's place and they overpower him. They tie him up and throw him in the back of a car. And they take him to the middle of nowhere. A.K.A. in Australia, this is called the bushland. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Fun. 
Fun little fact. Yeah. They beat him up and then they take him back to John's house where they continue to torture him. Oh, this isn't a good idea. No. Why take him all the way out to the middle of nowhere to beat him up and then bring him back to your home? I have no idea. They probably didn't really have a plan and they were just like, ha, got him. They attack him with clubs and they beat his genitals. Ooh. And then they even crush one of his toes with a pair of pliers Ow. just to make him suffer. What the, what the fuck? How do people think of this weird shit? Okay, so Elizabeth Harvey, the lady with the two sons that joins the group, mm-hmm. she witnesses the torture and was convinced that Ray was a pedophile. Like, everybody convinced her that he was. Yeah. And so John took advantage of this and encouraged her to help torture Ray. And she picked up some sort of, like, ceramic tool and started stabbing him in the legs over and over again. Oh, my God. So she also took part in some of this. Yeah. Eventually, Ray was strangled with some jumper cables, and his body was then buried in John's backyard. Okay. Uh, how about don't bury your fucking victims in your own yard? Yeah, it's not smart. No. But also, this guy is... Doesn't sound like the smartest fucking... Sharpest tool in the shed. No. Brightest crayon in the box. Which is crazy, because he gets away with so many fucking murders yeah well, he doesn't get away with it i mean yeah yeah but now. you know <laughs> yeah seeing as we know his name and stuff yeah and all the details yeah here's the saddest part though no one notices that ray is missing because he was like living alone in an rv and kind of a nomad guy yeah exactly that is sad that is really sad okay third victim suzanne allen she was 47 years old a lady a lady you say so she comes along and becomes obsessed with john Great. Even though John is still married to his wife, you know, the like illiterate deaf lady that oh. I mentioned at the beginning. That yeah. Forgot about her. Li- yeah. She never really takes part in any of this that I could tell. Does she live there? I She must, but she's never really mentioned. Oh, for the record, the wife's name is Veronica. Okay. Other than that, they didn't really mention her. But John was already having an affair with Elizabeth, the yeah, lady obviously. with the two sons. Yeah. You're like, no, no, no. I already figured that shit out. Yeah. I thought that <laughs> That's they why were she together. I forgot about the wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he also started a relationship with Suzanne. Okay. So Suzanne becomes obsessed with him. And Elizabeth doesn't like this. I have no fucking clue what they don't talk about what Elizabeth or the wife Veronica thought. They don't talk about feelings. <laughs> yeah. No, not in this story. But John starts to get annoyed with Suzanne's obsession. And in November of 1996, she just disappears. Okay. Her family reports are missing and the police go to her home and they find her home is trashed Uh-oh. and her pets were left abandoned. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. And they were like, this is a red flag because she was such a huge animal lover yeah. that she would never leave her pets unattended. Yeah. Especially a lady who lives alone. Yeah, exactly. Like, those are her fur babies those are her or whatever. Those are kids. Yeah, exactly. So John and Robert had murdered Suzanne. They dismembered her body and placed her body parts into trash bags and they buried her in the backyard of John's home. Okay, so he's Next just to Ray. getting yeah. a little fucking graveyard here. Exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. All right. The police don't... You know what I've never wanted? A graveyard in my backyard. Me either. Especially one that I've created my own. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. The police find no evidence of foul play in Suzanne's home or anything. And so they just label Suzanne as a missing person. You said it was trashed. Yeah, but they didn't find like... Like blood or anything. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Maybe they were like, like... Maybe there was a struggle. I know. Unless she lived like that. Maybe they were just like, oh, she's a hoarder or something. I don't know. Yeah. But they didn't find any evidence of foul play. So they're like, eh, she's just missing. Mm, okay. Later, once John and Robert get caught, they end up claiming that they found Suzanne dead in a bed 
from a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that they dismembered her and hit her body was so that they could steal her identity and collect her social security payments. Uh, the fuck. Okay. You for sure killed her. Also illegal. First of all. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, that doesn't make you a fucking hero. Like, you still are a shit person. No, she was already dead. Trust me, it was a heart attack. I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, How do you know what the fuck she died from? She's at her chest. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. In 1996, John Elizabeth Harvey and her two sons, they move out of the house in Adelaide and they move into another home together in Murray Bridge, which is about 60 miles from the murder house. Mm -hmm. John keeps in close contact with Robert and continues to plan their like little murderous attacks. It's mainly John and Robert running the whole ring of things and then Barry and Mark and the rest of the clan kind of jump in as needed. Okay. John keeps a chart that he calls the wall of rock spiders in his house. Okay. And rock spider is supposedly a slang term in Australia for gays. I don't know why or how. I've never heard that before. The wall of rock spiders? Yeah. So he had a wall in his house and he would put pictures of people who he thought were gays. Is Barry on there? Is his best buddy Robert on there? Exactly, right? And he had like all this fucking string attaching them and he would like... Was this like Charlie in the mailroom? <laughs> exactly. And he was like picking out like who he was going to fucking attack next. Oh my God. It was literally like our dream for like tracking down a serial killer. Yeah. But for just gay people. It was essentially a list of potential victims of acquaintances to the group who he had for some reason or another decided that they were either child molesters or gay people or whatever. Okay. And they needed to die. So for fun, what he would do was he'd pick a name out at random and he would call them and yell at them and accuse them of being child molesters. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're getting out of this. The guy was like off his fucking rocker. Yeah. What's interesting is that Barry Lame, he was an accomplice that helped him dispose of the first victim, Clinton. Yeah. And he was also on the list. (gasps) He was on the wall? Yeah, he was on the wall. So you called it. You were like, uh, is Robert on the wall? Is Barry on the wall? Yeah. 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 Did he know he was on the wall? Well, I don't think so because this is a different house, right? 60 miles away. Yeah. So he's not a neighbor anymore. Yeah. He can't just waltz in and see that shit. What? Okay. So enter our fourth victim. Okay. July, 1997. Michael Gardner, who was 19, he was an openly gay man, and he grew up with a troubled childhood as well, Mm -hmm. as everyone else in this fucking story. Yeah. His stepdad had disowned him for being openly gay, and he was placed in foster care as a child because he was molested by a family member. And so now he's all grown up. He moves into a rented home close to Robert Wagner's house in Adelaide, so the same block as, like, the murder house, right? Okay. Because Robert was neighbors with john who now has moved out yeah so michael was close friends with his landlady Mm -hmm. and his landlady's cousin starts having an affair with robert even though robert is dating barry Uh but michael and robert become acquainted because of this yeah this little relationship connection tryst yes one day michael was over playing with his landlord's cousin's son (laughs) They were playing and they were chasing each other around the house and Michael caught the child and accidentally placed his hand over the child's mouth and Robert and the cousin saw this and they got offended and viewed this as a sign that Michael was a child molester. Oh, yeah. And so... Is Michael- that not a sign for you? <laughs> the fuck? Right? So this landed Michael on the list of people who needed to die. Oh, great. 
poor fucking guy. I know. Oh my God, he was just playing with a kid. Yeah. And, and Robert's just sitting there like, you gonna die. No, that was it. Strike one. Yeah. One through three. Well, plus he was openly gay, so. Mm, and yeah. they didn't like that. So is Robert. I know. I don't get that. I don't get it at all. So when Michael's landlord goes on vacation, Robert and John meet up and they abduct Michael and they attack him. Great. Great. They take him to a shed in the back of John's new house in Murray Bridge. So they like come and get him, drive 60 miles, take him to the back of the shed and they tie him up and torture him and eventually strangle him. Oh my God. They later cut up Michael's body and throw his body parts into a barrel which they fill with acid and leave in John's shed to decompose. Ugh. They're getting creative. That's nasty. That's so crazy. I don't like it. I don't either. Also, so now he doesn't just have a graveyard. He has a fucking murder shed. Yep, he's got a murder shed. Great. In the Moving new home. In the world. He's like, hmm, I got to change up this place a little bit, make it my own. You know what would look nice? A murder shed in that corner. A barrel with a body in it. And that's what he did. That's gross. That's awful. It what is a terrible. Piece it of is shit. Really terrible. Oh, this guy is a total piece of shit. So then they ransack Michael's house and they try to steal his identity and his bank cards and shit. Yeah. They take some of his belongings, but they weren't able to find any of his bank cards. Yeah. They take some of his landlord's things also to make it look like Michael had just like robbed the place and took off. Ooh. So she wouldn't question where he went. Yeah. And his landlord comes home and she's pissed. Like her stuff is missing. Yeah. And she eventually finds Michael's wallet hidden under his bed. Uh-oh. And she had mentioned this to one of John's friends, <gasps> James, Elizabeth's youngest son. Yeah. She mentions that she found Michael's wallet and that she had his social security cards and bank cards. So he couldn't have gone far. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she starts getting these weird phone calls from someone claiming to be Michael's friend saying that he needed his wallet back and that she could find it under the bed, which is where she found it. She confided yeah. in James. I found it there. And the lady was like, that's a cool fucking story. He's not going to get his shit back until he gives me my stuff back. Yeah. Like she doesn't know that these are weird phone calls it's yeah, from obviously. John. They're calling and saying, oh, we need his shit. Yeah. You know, he needs that. But the, the and calls, she's like, fuck off. He took my stuff. Yeah. He can if, return my stuff. Exactly. she thinks it's Michael's friend. Exactly. Okay. So the calls start to get more threatening, and James eventually convinces her to somehow give over the wallet to his quote-unquote friends. Uh-huh. Exactly. And she starts to get more concerned for Michael's whereabouts because all of this seems a little suspicious. Yeah. But eventually, the alarm bells start to fade, and she just assumes he ran away. Oh, my God. So this poor lady, they were like best friends. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? Ugh. Meanwhile, Barry, a.k.a. the cross-dresser guy that Vanessa. also goes by Vanessa, uh-huh, mm -hmm. and Robert Wagner, they break up. So uh -oh. they're no longer a couple. So now Barry is free game? Exactly. Like Awful. I said, John was only tolerating Barry because him and Robert were together. Yeah. So enter our fifth victim, Barry. Ugh, no. I mean, also, he took part in murder. That's true. That's so true. And he... Not to say that he deserves to die. He deserves to go to prison for a long time and be judged by the fucking courts and people. There. I agree. So Barry meets a new lover, Thomas Trevelyan. Okay. Who is 19. So... Well... I think he just likes him young. At least he's up a little bit. Yeah, that's true. At least he's of consent. Yeah, he's over 18. Yeah. He's an adult. Yeah. And he begins to tell Thomas of the murders and the attacks that have taken place. So he starts uh -oh. confiding in him. Yeah. So... John and Robert start to worry, like, okay, Barry's becoming a loose end, right? Yeah. We're going to have to go off him. 
So they recruit Thomas Trevelyan, Barry's new fucking boyfriend, and they go to Barry's house. They subdue him and torture him. And while they're torturing him, they force him to make a phone call to his mom. What? They tell him to tell his mom that he's moving and that she's not going to see him for a while. And once the call is done, the three men continue to torture Barry. Aww. They use pliers to crush his toes, just like they did with Ray. Ugh. And his toenails. Ugh. They beat him up and they get all of his bank account information and then they strangle him to death. Okay. How did they get the fucking boyfriend to get I on I don't this? know. How are, like, what is this guy's fucking, like, allure that everybody just suddenly follows him and is okay with it? Right? I don't get it. Like, if my boyfriend was like, dude, crazy story, me and these other guys one time, like, took part in murders, and then those other guys came over to me and were like, hey, I'd be like, nope. no. <laughs> no, thank you. Bye. Jesus. I have no idea, but somehow they get him to join in. I I mean, he's 19. He's probably impressionable. I know. Maybe maybe it was kind of, like, forced. Yeah. I don't know. Ugh. So they strangle him, right? Yeah. They wrap him up in a carpet, and they leave his body in his house for a number of days. Jesus. And then they come back, and they get the body and dismember it and put it in a barrel full of acid again. So now he's got two barrels. He's got two bodies in a barrels. Ooh, that's a good song. I like it. Ten days after Barry's death, a female friend of his calls the cops and says that Barry had told her about Clinton's death. <gasps> and she doesn't believe that Barry moved away, but that, like, foul play is afoot. Yeah. There's some fuckery afoot. Yes. Go look into these people. What a good friend. Yeah. I would hope you would do that. I would. If you ever went missing, even if there was no foul play that I could tell of, I'd be, like, calling the cops and being like, no, no, no. She told me of this suspicious time that will probably we lead you on a wild trail in the wrong direction. Yeah, but wild goose chase. Just keep looking. Yeah. Okay, so before the men had killed Barry, they forced him to leave a voice recording explaining his intentions of moving, like how they had him call his mom and shit. Yeah. And because of this, the police were like, hey, friend, that's a really good theory that you think that foul play is afoot. But look, we have this tape, and he's saying, don't come look for me. I'm fine. I've moved away. How fucking terrifying so, would it be to have to record that? I know. If, like, I mean, you know that you're going to if die. If I knew I was going to die, I would not be convincing. I might, like, actually say the words, but I would not be convincing. Well, yeah, but, like, I could probably tell, but the cops couldn't, you know? Yeah. Maybe. they don't know you. Maybe cadence. I would just yell everything they hated to hear. I don't know, though. But if you're being tortured, you'd do fucking anything to make it stop. That's what I'm thinking, too, is you don't really... I mean, if you're being tortured, you don't have much choice. Yep. And you're just going to say things to make it stop. Exactly. Especially if at that point you just want to die. And you're that's like, so whatever. terrible. Oh, my God. That's so sad to think about. Yeah. I'll leave you a code. Okay. Well, you'll hear... You'll know it. I'll just yell all of our secret codes. Yeah. <laughs> And they'll be like, why does she... orange pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> they'll just be like, why is she... Why does she like lipstick on her teeth and not on her lips? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I'm like, she's in trouble. <laughs> she needs help. That's code for she wants to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so the police don't, you know... Follow up on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, he just moved away just like he said he would. Yeah. So now enter the sixth victim, Thomas Trevelyan, the boyfriend. Okay. Of Barry. 
He moves in with Robert and Robert's girlfriend shortly after Barry's murder. And he confides in a cousin that he was involved in Barry's murder. And now he's worried for his own safety because he's fucking smart, right? And he's living with the murderer, the I other murderer. I don't get it. Not that smart. Well, I mean, smart enough to say something at least. Yeah. So Robert and John know that Thomas is another loose end. And they quickly decide that he needs to die. So Thomas, you know, had his little fucking red flags up and they were right. Yeah. So what they do is they decide to stage his death to look like a suicide. Thomas was found hanging in a tree in the hills of Adelaide. And the police believed that he had committed suicide. Okay. So that wasn't even ever questioned. What the fuck? Right? And then in early... These people are just killing left and right i guess in early 1998 james velasquez elizabeth's youngest son he's still living with his mom and john in their new home in murray bridge mm-hmm. and he becomes a heroin addict Ooh! and he invites a fellow heroin addict by the name of gavin porter who's 29 to move in with him okay and he is going to become our seventh victim Jeez. John soon develops a new hatred for drug addicts and despises Gavin for his drug use. And James. And James. But I guess he gives James a pass. A little slack, yeah. Well, he gave Robert and Barry some slack Exactly. For a while. He obviously doesn't stick to his own rules. Yeah. He quickly gets Gavin's bank details and PIN number from him somehow. Maybe because he's a heroin addict and it's easy to do. Yeah. And one day, John sits down on the couch and gets poked by one of Gavin's used needles, <gasps> and he flies into a rage. Well, listen, I <sighs> would too. How do you know it's Gavin's and not James's, though? Okay, you don't. But yeah. if I was living with a heroin addict and they left their used needles around that I could get poked by them, I would be fucking pissed. I would also. I'd fly into a rage also. I would too. I probably wouldn't kill him, but yeah. I'd be like, you I was going to say, I would do what's about to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. No, but. there's no excuse for murder, but. But while Gavin was sleeping in the back of a car. Okay. So I'm assuming he had passed out from like drug use. Uh-huh. Robert and John attack and per their use, they strangle him and they cut him up and put him in a barrel of acid and store his remains in the shed in the back of John's house. Okay. So. Three. Yeah. Three bodies in the shed. When James returns home, John takes him to the shed to show him the remains of his friends, along with the barrel with Barry Lane and Michael Gardner in it. Mm-hmm. And James gets super sick, but he's so scared because he doesn't want to end up in a barrel also that he agrees to go along with John's plan of stealing Gavin's identity. Yeah. He just saw three bodies. Yep. One of which was his buddy. Yeah. Two of the other ones are probably severely decomposed at this point and also one of them was like a fellow you know person who helped partake in some of these killings yeah so he's got to be thinking like no one's safe yeah that'll scare you yeah but that's what they were doing they were killing these people and stealing their identity and taking their money yeah eventually john gets into james's head and convinces him that it's time that he needs to start doing the same and start murdering because this whole time, James hasn't done any actual murdering. Yeah. He's just kind of like known. Well, I guess now he knows about it. Now he's seen the bodies and stuff. But now he knows for sure. He's yeah. known, though, because he's the one that told. Uh, oh, yeah. The landlady. Yeah. Like, give us like, your shit. Yep. Like, oh, she has. Your, she found the wallet. Yep. Exactly. And, like, he wouldn't have told John that had he not. Exactly. Known. Yeah. That's a really good point. So John's like, yo, James, you got to start doing some murdering. And I think you should murder your older brother, Troy <gasps> Yude. So enter our eighth victim. Oh, my God. So his older brother, if you'll remember, actually sexually 
molested James when he was younger. Yeah. Because they were abused also. Yeah. And so this is why John says James needs to kill his older brother. So in August of 1998, John, Robert, and James, they break into Troy's bedroom and they attack him. They take him into the bathroom and record his voice while he's being tortured. They strangle Troy until he's dead and they pull him out of the tub onto the floor. John then orders James to kick his brother's body and then they take him to the shed. So for some reason, he like pulls him out and he's like, James, kick your brother. And so James starts kicking the body and then they take Troy to the shed. That's awful. It's really awful. I didn't write it down, but I'm assuming that he ends up in a barrel also. Yeah. If he's in the shed. Yeah. James steals all of his brother's money and uses it to buy drugs. Because anyone's going to need to numb that shit. Yeah. And the whole time, police have no idea that there's, like, any murders on the loose or anything. Like, through all... These eight people have been murdered, and the police have no idea because they haven't found any dead bodies yet. Well, and they've, like, written them off as... Suicides missing persons or, yeah, yeah exactly you're right they did find the suit the one suicide yeah but there's no the only thing that they have of suspicion is like possible social security fraud yeah isn't that wild yeah eight people and they don't know so our ninth victim frederick brooks this is mark hayden's wife so mark is one of the killers in the group yeah but he's not really talked about a lot yeah he was back in the beginning exactly but i think he's been partaking in some of the stuff he's just not like one of the main guys okay so his wife who's also named elizabeth which gets confusing later mm-hmm. but not john's elizabeth mark's elizabeth mm-hmm. <laughs> frederick brooks is elizabeth's 18 year old nephew okay and John doesn't like Mark's wife for some reason, and he hasn't for some time now. So John just decides that it's time for Frederick to die simply because he didn't like him, didn't like Elizabeth, so he needs to die. Oh, my God. So in September of 98, John, Robert, and James, they all attack Frederick, and it was a long and brutal attack. Mm. He was stripped and beaten. They lit cigarettes, and they would push him into his nose, into his ears. <gasps> what i know a cigarette lighter was used to burn like a smiley face on his forehead you know how like yeah the cigarette burns make a smiley face or whatever yeah it was then used to burn his nipple Ooh. an electrical plating machine was brought out what and they attached it to his genitals <gasps> and used it to send electrical shocks what the actual fuck Ugh. who just has that i was gonna say that who has that i don't know what is that for but what the hell And then John opens a pack of sparklers, like the 4th of July sparklers. Oh, no. And I'm just going to apologize to all of our male listeners right now. Uh. He stuck the end of it into his penis and lit the sparkler on fire Uh. and watched it burn down. This amused John and Robert so much that they did it again. What the actual fuck? What the fuck? What the actual fuck? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's awful. That's really awful. That's really awful. I don't know how far or anything like that. I don't want to think about it. I don't think we need to know. I don't want to think about it. I don't think we need to know. The final thing that they did was they used a syringe to inject water into his testicles. Ooh. Like, they were just experimenting shit at this point. Well, he's a Nazi. Oh. Good observation. Frederick eventually passes away. His body was taken to Mark Hayden's house along with the other barrels with the bodies in it. Yeah. And they were taken there for storage instead of storing at John's shed. Did Mark's Elizabeth know about this? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, But what the actual hell is going on? 
Also, I, I'd be like, no, thank you. I don't want those bodies. Yeah. Okay, so our 10th victim. In October 1998, Gary O'Dwyer was spotted hobbling across the road as James and John were sitting in their car. And Gary had been in a bad car accident that left him disabled Ooh. and with a pension to survive on. Uh-oh. John starts talking with Gary and gets Gary to invite them back to his house, to Gary's house. Mm-hmm. So they're all sitting around and they're having drinks and Robert and John attack Gary and they beat him up and start torturing him, including the electrical plating machine, which they had to bring that shit with them. Yeah. Was that just in their car? What the fuck? Yeah. I don't get it. Again, they get all of his bank information and they record his voice making statements to throw off the families and the police. And they eventually strangle him and cut him up and put him into a barrel full of acid. Oh, my God. I know. These are going to kind of, I mean, there's, they go quicker now because it's all the same story, unfortunately. Yeah. The 11th victim on November 1998, Elizabeth Hayden. Uh-oh. Mark Hayden's wife. She's the next to be murdered simply because John was annoyed with her. Well, that's all it takes, I guess. And Mark was like, okay. (laughs) This is so frustrating. When Mark and her kids weren't home, John and Robert went to her house where they claimed that she had made sexual advances towards the men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I'm sure. And John felt that this meant that she was dirty and needed to die. And so the two torture her and kill her and put her into a barrel like the others. Uh And Mark is later shown his wife's remains in the barrel and supposedly he laughed and didn't seem upset at all. What? What a shitty husband. Well, yeah. What a shitty person in general, just for being around for all these murders. But like, uh, I'm sorry. What That's the your wife. Fuck? Yeah. That's the person that you're supposed to love. That's the one that made your babies. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Ugh. All right. Our 12th victim. May 1999, David Johnson, who was 24 years old, and James's stepbrother. So he had two other brothers. Yeah. And he already killed his older brother. And now we have David Johnson, who's the stepbrother. He becomes the 12th murder victim. Oh, my god! Despite the fact that police are now trying to find out what the hell is going on. And, you know, we have a lot of missing people here. Like, there's something going on now. Are they finally catching on? They're finally catching on. James, I guess, lured David to an abandoned bank building in Snowtown, which is less than 150 miles from Adelaide, like, Murray Bridge area. Mm-hmm. That John was renting... Oh, I don't know how you rent abandoned banks. That sounds really cool. Well, the place I work at used to be a bank. That's true. So you're technically renting it. An abandoned bank. (laughs) Yeah. Da-da. There you go. (laughs) That's how it works. So when they get there, John and Robert were waiting for them. And once they were there, the men handcuffed David and choked him and forced him to read this little script while they recorded him confessing to these crimes that he never committed. Ooh. And also had him recite his bank information. Mm-hmm. The group leave David at the abandoned bank and try to go access his funds, but they weren't able to. Can I just say that I don't know my bank information? I don't either. Like, I know my PIN, but if you're like, what's your routing number? I'd be like, fuck. I don't know. I don't even have my checkbook with me. You're going to have to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have that information. But maybe they were just stealing his cards and his PIN number. Yeah. And that was his bank bank information. But also, it was like late 90s. So they probably had checks and stuff. Well, you used them more. I used to use them more even in like 2005. I think Brandon knows well, at least our old bank account. I think he knows the yeah, exactly. routing number to that. I used to have to know all that to like call in to see what my my Balance funds were. Yeah, yeah, before it was like online banking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was pretty common to know that. Okay, so they can't access his funds, right? 
Yeah. They return, and when they do, they find David is dead. So I'm guessing they had him, like, hogtied or something, and he died of strangulation or maybe from being beat up or torture or something. I don't know. Yeah. But he was dead. he died from his wounds. Yeah. So they can't get any more information from him. And Robert was pissed that he wasn't able to, quote, unquote, play with David before he died. Oh, my God. So when they dismembered David, allegedly, Robert took some of the flesh and fried it up and ate him. <gasps> This was the only victim who was actually murdered in Snowtown and the only one that allegedly has anything to do with cannibalism. But all the other people were killed in Adelaide or Murray Bridge or whatever. And this is known as the Snowtown murders. Why did he eat him? I don't fucking know. (laughs) Why did did he do anything? I don't know. It just says Robert. Did they have a fucking grill there? They must have. Like a little foreman? Maybe he like took the meat home. Ooh, Fried it up. Yeah, super gross. I have so many questions. I do too. I don't have any answers. (laughs) (laughs) Literally don't have any answers. By the way, all this information came from basically one documentary. I read a ton of articles, but they weren't in-depth enough to be able to give a full story. Yeah. So I'm limited on what I do know and how, like... Yeah. You know, usually you can piece together a couple different details and figure out the scene. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of stuck. Okay, so because of that, I'm not quite sure how the police start to catch on. Mm-hmm. To this little clan of murdering people. Well, fucking everyone is connected to them. I know. But I think what it was, the like biggest connection was Mark's wife's yeah. murder, Elizabeth. And so the police start to become suspicious and they start looking into the group as like su- potential suspects. Yeah. Well, Mark was probably looked at intensely as a I'm suspect. I'm sure. Yeah. He's a husband. Yeah. And then maybe he was linked to these other people and all these yeah. other people were somehow connected. So it starts to spark some concern and detectives from Adelaide, they reach out to the police in Snowtown and let them know that, hey, we're looking for this like Toyota Land Cruiser. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know how they get all this information here. Yeah. This isn't where, it's not very clear. The documentary just kind of jumped to it. Okay. But they're looking for a Toyota Land Cruiser. The Snowtown police, they had records of the cruiser coming into town around February. Again, I don't know how they have these records. CCTV? Maybe. And that this Toyota Land Cruiser had a bunch of barrels in the back of it. What? Dun, 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 dun. They track the Land Cruiser to John's house, and they find out that John is renting that abandoned bank building in Snowtown. Mm -hmm. So they're like, aha, let's go check out that bank building. Yeah. So on May 20th of 1999, the police go investigate, and they find the old bank vault in the building, and mm-hmm. they go inside, mm. and when they open it, there's plastic everywhere hanging like curtains. Oh, my God. And they push through the plastic, and they're hit with the smell of decomposing Ooh. bodies immediately. Gross. The police had to wear, like, breathing gear because the stench was so bad. Oh. And they find these barrels, and they walk around opening each barrel with a camera rolling to document each decomposing body Ugh. as they open the barrels. And they found eight barrels, each with their own victims. Actually, I think some of them had, like, shared parts. I read one article that said they, like, shared Gross. shared a barrel. But eight barrels. And the smell was so bad that it could be smelled outside of the bank. And <gasps> that... God damn. His shed must have smelled awful. Oh, my God. Right? But I guess the vault was, like, holding it back. I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. Also, this documentary claimed that people would, like 
after all of this, you know, people would come up and try to smell under the door to see if they could smell decomposing bodies. Why? Who does that? Why would you, you want to smell that? Don't be so weird. <laughs> Go take a picture outside of the bank, but don't try to smell decomposing bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you want to smell that? I don't know. I don't know. Ugh. Okay, so now the police have the task of identifying who the hell is in these barrels. Because they just have a bunch of missing people report, you know. Yeah. But they don't know who these people are. Well, I guess the acid that they used to dissolve the bodies in the barrels was the wrong kind of acid. <laughs> the killers used hydrochloric acid, which doesn't dissolve bodies. But instead, it fucking mummifies them. <gasps> so in a sense, the killers were preserving the bodies instead of getting rid of them. Oh my god. Isn't that crazy? First of all, at least they were dumb enough to do that. Right. I mean, I was going to say quick Google search, but I don't know how. 90s. Yeah, I don't remember how accessible Google was. Quick ass Jeeves search. <laughs> yeah. Yahoo. Yeah. <laughs> you could ask, uh, what was the paperclip's name? <laughs> Mr. Clippy. Clippy. Yeah, it was Clippy. <laughs> Just ask him. He might know. Oh, my God. How to dissolve a body. Oh, like, my gosh. We yeah. have alerted the police. <laughs> Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> So the police obviously have a task ahead of them, right? Yeah. And they go and they arrest John, Robert, and Mark Hayden because they're all tied to this bank vault thing. Yeah. A few days later, James is interviewed and he spills the beans on everything in hopes of gaining immunity. Uh-oh. And he leads the police to Suzanne Allen's body and Ray Davis's body, the ones that <gasps> were buried in the back of John's old house. Yeah. So the police were like, oh shit, he's telling the truth. Yeah. We have our story. And they do DNA profiling to identify each one of the victims that are in the barrel and everything. Obviously, they go to trial. During the trial, James's mother, Elizabeth Harvey, she died of cancer. Oh. And, I mean, it is it is sad, but it's kind of a good thing because James had been holding back a lot of information. Because, oh. remember, she took place in Ray Davis's torture where she yeah. like stabbed him with that ceramic thing yeah so he was kind of holding back a lot of information and he didn't want to get his mom in trouble to protect her yep. yeah he was trying to protect her so once she passed away he let it all out and told everything and all of the men were sentenced to life in prison james gets the chance of parole in 28 years and mark got the chance of parole in 18 years now what? this was like in 1999 yeah I, I don't know where these men are now. I'm sure they're still in prison. Nothing ever said they got out. Yeah. <laughs> All of the trial details were obviously really gruesome and gory. And it was learned that many of the victims were forced to call their killers different titles, such as God, Master, Lord Sir, and Chief Inspector, like while they were being tortured. What? This Chief Inspector? <laughs> All I think of is Inspector Gadget every time. Right. Call me Chief Inspector. Do 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 do. Inspector Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that's really fucking weird. It is super weird. Supposedly, John insisted on playing the album called Throwing Copper by the band Live while murdering because it put his mind at peace. Okay. Like, the what the fuck? All right, that's weird. It's super weird. But basically, essentially, that's the whole story. I'm pretty sure they're all still in prison. That was like his gym jams, but it that was, was... Yeah. It was his murder it jams. His murder jams. But anyway, so I got most of this information from a documentary called Crime Investigation Australia. So if anybody is interested, you can go check that out. Jeez. But God damn. Yeah, that's kind of it. 
I just wanted to tell you the story because it was a bunch of fucking bodies and barrels. And then my favorite part was that they accidentally preserved them. Yeah. So sorry there was a shit ton of names in that story. That's okay. I think I followed along pretty good. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah. And if nobody else did, fucking Google it. (laughs) It's a doozy. (laughs) (laughs) You got the gist of the story. (laughs) Yeah. Which is all we ever promised. Yes, exactly. All right, Stacey, are you ready for my story? I am. Let's hear it. Okay. So I am doing there is murder involved Ooh, maybe oh interesting mm-hmm. switching it up but it's a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. oh lord oh yeah get ready for it this one is about karen silkwood okay she was born february 19th 1946 in longview texas and in 1965 she married a guy named william meadows Okay. And he was an oil pipeline worker. Naturally, you're in Texas. Mm-hmm, exactly. They had three kids. One was five, one was three, and one was 18 months old. Okay. And William ended up spending them into bankruptcy and Ooh. was having an affair. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. He doesn't sound like a keeper. And she was like, hey, man. Can you not? Can you not do that, right? Uh-huh. And he refused to end the affair, so she was like, deuces. Yeah. I'm out of here. Smart. Good for her. Yeah. Get it, girl. She literally told her oldest daughter that she was going out to buy cigarettes. Oh, my God. And then didn't come back. (gasps) Oh, she didn't take her kids? No. Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, like, kind of good for her, but also, like, what the fuck, man? And she literally went for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. That's what I threaten every time I leave the house. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. I'm going to go buy bourbon and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Which you don't smoke or drink. (laughs) No. Well, you drink, but not bourbon. (laughs) Not bourbon. Definitely not bourbon. Uh Brand's like, aren't you going to work? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. Bye. Is that not what you heard me say? Yeah. (laughs) So she moved to Oklahoma City and got a job at the Care McGee Fuel Fabrication Site. Oh, okay. This was in 1972. Fuel fabrication? Yeah, it was a nuclear plant. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. She was going to be polishing fuel rods that were... <laughs> hey <laughs> Yeah, she was. Didn't even think about that. Well, they what were... What do you do for a living? <laughs> it's just a fancy way. I polish rods. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Uh, nuclear fuel rods <laughs> oh my god these fuel rods uh-huh. that she was polishing yeah were packed with radioactive plutonium pellets aka jizz oh my god <laughs> i could let this go on forever you this, are like a 12 year old boy I, I am this is not a safe job no yeah no that's the point of my story okay <laughs> you cut on quick yeah Also, I don't know why they need to be polished. I did not look into that. (laughs) We need this nuclear power plant to look the fanciest it's ever looked. Yeah. I want it spick and span. (laughs) So she joined the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union. Oh, God. And shortly after she started working there, there was a strike that she participated in. Uh Uh-huh. And when that ended and failed, I guess a lot of the people lost faith in the union. Okay. But Karen was like, hell no. We won't go or whatever. Yeah. She was super dedicated to it. Uh-huh. And she was the first woman from Karamagee to be elected to the union's bargaining committee. Okay. So she's doing big stuff in the union, right? Is that? Is that? What's a bargaining committee? Is uh, that where you go and you're like, do this for my people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Don't know much about unions. <laughs> I only do because Brandon was in that in uh. his union. <laughs> They, like, elected him to be the fucking spokesperson. Of course he he would. He would be in a goddamn union. Of course he would. Not that I'm against them, but I just don't know anything about them. No, yeah, and he didn't either, and he was, like, learning it all. He thought it was pretty cool. So 
Karen was charged with investigating the health and safety issues at the plant. Okay. And she believed that she discovered numerous health violations, including workers being exposed to contamination. Yeah. By polishing rods. By polishing rods, yeah. (laughs) And some faulty respiratory equipment and improper storage of samples. Oh, shit. That's scary. She also believed that the lack of shower facilities would increase the risk of employee contamination. Yeah. So she was like, there's a lot of shit going wrong here. Yeah, let's fix this. Yeah. So then the union, based on, like, her word and stuff, yeah. threatened litigation saying that Karamagee plant had manufactured faulty fuel rods. Ooh. They falsified product inspection records and oh. risked employee safety. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is not something I want out of a nuclear power plant. Not at all. Yeah, it's like the low on the list of things that you want. Yeah. So she said that there were spills, leaks, and enough missing plutonium to make (gasps) multiple nuclear weapons. No. Yeah. What? Yeah. That shit doesn't go missing. Yeah. Quote, unquote, right? Uh Uh-huh. So then in the summer of 1974, Karen testified to the Atomic Energy Commission about having been contaminated. Oh. She said that safety standards had slipped because of a production speed up. So they were getting kind of lax on the safety of it all. On November 5th in 1974, Karen did a routine self-check and found that her body contained almost 400 times the legal limit (gasps) for plutonium contamination. Oh my God. Yeah. That's not good. No. And she was decontaminated and sent home with another kit to check her urine and feces later. <gasps> Deacon, do they just like louse you? I think so. Like <laughs> spray it down. They're like, yeah. good luck, right? Yeah. So there was plutonium on the inner portions of the gloves that she was using, but oh, the gloves no. didn't have any holes, suggesting that the contamination had come from a different source. Yeah. I assume it's like one of those You've seen them in, like, The Simpsons, those giant glass windows where they stick their arms in the big black rubber gloves and they polish the stuff in there. Uh I think that's what she was doing. Okay. So the next morning, she tested positive for plutonium again. Oh, my gosh. Even though she had only been doing paperwork that morning. Oh, my gosh. On November 7th, as she entered the plant, she was found to be dangerously contaminated (gasps) and was even breathing out contaminated air. Oh, my God. Could she feel it? Like, are there symptoms? I'm sure that there are symptoms. I don't know if she could feel it. Like, if she noticed them yet? Yeah. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Also, if you're breathing it out, that's fucking in your lungs. That's inside your body. Yeah. 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 That's scary. Oh, no. So they sent a team to go check out her house, Mm -hmm. and they found plutonium traces on several surfaces, including the bathroom and the fridge. Okay. Karen, her boyfriend, and her roomie were all sent to a lab for testing to determine the extent of their contamination. Yeah. And there was no radiation detected in either her car or her work locker. So, like, it's really weird, right, that it was in In her her fridge or on her fridge and in her bathroom. Yeah. And, like, the inside of the gloves thing. Like, where is this coming from? Because the thing that should be contaminated is, like, sealed up, right? Yeah. So, obviously, there were questions about how her home had become contaminated. Uh Uh-huh. And she said that the bathroom may have been contaminated from when she tried to do an at-home urine sample, but ended up spilling it in the bathroom. Oh. Maybe she didn't wash her hands and then she touched the fridge? Maybe. Yeah. First of all, gross. (laughs) Yeah. You spill urine all over the floor? Nasty. And the samples that she had taken at home from that time Mm -hmm. had tested with extremely high levels of plutonium. Oh, Jesus. 
So now at the lab, her samples were showing a much lower amount, but huh. that could explain the bathroom at least. Yeah. She believed that she had been contaminated at work, possibly deliberately, oh, as a result no. of her whistleblowing. Oh, shit. But how? I don't know. Like they just rub it on you? I guess, right? Like how do you not contaminate it? yourself when you do that? Wear gloves? Is it know. literally like only something you could touch? I feel like it'd be in the air, like radiated radiation. Uh, I don't think it's in the air. It's just like if you touch it. Yeah, I think so. I imagine those like glowing green lo- green rods like in Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. And she's just polishing them all day. <laughs> yeah. So the plant that she worked for believed that she had been contaminating herself at <gasps> home. What? In order to fuck with the company. Why would you do that? I don't like know. at those dangerous levels yeah right why would you do that at all well but i mean like, maybe she didn't know that it was like at that dangerous of a level because this is back when the, they were fucking having people polish plutonium fuel rods <laughs> yeah like i don't think that they actually knew that it how bad it could be at oh that my point. gosh like yeah they had the union and osha or whatever at that point yeah. i don't know if they actually had osha but yeah like they had some safety standards but it doesn't oh really God. seem like they had that many or that they were very strict about it. Yeah. So apparently security at the plant was so bad that workers could easily steal plutonium pellets. That's so bad. Yeah. But also the type of plutonium that was found on her body came from a production area that she apparently hadn't been in contact with in four months. Oh. And the finished pellets had been stored in the vault of the facility. That's interesting that they can like track what kind of plutonium. Right. Yeah. Radiation she was getting. What batch it was. Yeah. Yeah. But also then how did she get it if that's where it was? Yeah. How would she have gotten that if it was in the vault? Like she didn't have access to that vault. But if somebody was like poisoning her with it, I wonder how they were doing it. Like how was she getting exposed to it? Yeah. And then does it I mean they could have put it like inside the gloves that she was working on and if she doesn't look then puts her hands right in there. Yeah, put your hands in there and then it's there. But how do you know somebody else's gloves won't somebody else isn't going to touch those gloves yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And we'll never know. So, Oh, that's fucking lovely. Yeah. So then Karen had gathered a bunch of documents for her claims and was going to go to the public with the evidence. Uh-huh. And she contacted David Burnham, who was a New York Times journalist. Okay. On November 13th, 1974, Karen went to a union meeting at the Hub Cafe and another attendee later testified that she had a binder with her and a packet of documents uh-huh. with all of her, like, fucking findings, findings and yeah. shit, right? She left the meeting and got into her car to go to Oklahoma City, which was 30 miles away, mm-hmm. to meet with David and another man who was an official of her union's national office. Okay. So she was like, let's fucking do this, yeah, right? Yeah, we're going forward. Yeah. They waited for a few hours for her to show up before they Uh-oh. contacted the police. Uh-oh. She never showed. Later that night, Karen's car was found to have run off the road <gasps> and crashed into a culvert. Uh-oh. Which, I didn't know what that was. It's a giant, <laughs> like, pipe that lets water flow under a road or something. Oh, I was thinking, like, a ditch or, like, you know how we have the flood ditches around here? Yeah. That's what nope. I was thinking. Big metal pipe, essentially. Oh, no. So her body was found inside her car, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Oh. And they ruled it an accident. Okay. 
One of the troopers at the scene remembered finding marijuana and quaaludes in the car. Quaaludes? Yeah. <laughs> but there were no documents. Oh. Bum, 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 bum. Why wouldn't she be taking her documents to that meeting? Well, and she had them when she got into yeah. her car. Yeah. After leaving this other meeting. Yeah. To then go fucking whistleblow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So quaaludes are a sedative, in mm-hmm. case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And marijuana, in case you're unaware, <laughs> in case can you also know. make a person sleepy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so police are saying that she fell asleep in her car, and that's how she crashed. Okay. Was it in her system? Yes. Toxicology said that she had twice the recommended dosage of quaaludes in her system. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. That was a recommended dosage of quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> well, also her dad later came out and said, like, she was super nervous about this meeting and like excited about it she's not gonna be sleepy like it's like yeah going to fucking disneyland in the morning you can't sleep the night before like yeah. she was she Amped wouldn't up. have been fucking sleepy on this right yeah well so, why would you take that right before you're gonna go driving somewhere to an appoint important appointment exactly and twice the recommended amount like yeah no Mm-mm. it's all a little fishy yeah a little fishy So some people, however, don't believe it was an accident, Mm -hmm. obviously. They think that she was run off the road by someone in the company to keep her quiet. Ooh. There were skid marks in the road suggesting that she wasn't asleep at the time of the crash. That she hit the brakes or something. Yeah, she had hit the brakes and was actively trying to get back on the road. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Yeah. There was also damage to the rear of the car that, according to everyone who had seen her car before, said wasn't there before the accident. Oh, my gosh. And then there was a microscopic examination of the back of her car done as well. Uh-huh. And they said that there were paint chips that could have only come from a rear impact with another vehicle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so she got rammed off the road. Yeah, it's what it's starting to sound like. Yeah. And to add on to the no damage beforehand, there was never any reported damage like that previously. Her friends and family had never seen it, uh-huh. and it wasn't, like, on her insurance or anything, like, yeah. that she had been in an accident before. So there's also the theory that perhaps someone did run her off the road, but didn't intend to kill her. Uh-huh. They just wanted to scare her because... Like, yeah, like, make you late for your appointment. Yeah, or just scare her and you didn't, like, they didn't necessarily know that her car was going to hit this culvert in that yeah. way to kill her. Yeah. So. Just a little intimidating tactic. Exactly. And according to her family, she had been receiving threatening phone calls before her death. Oh, man, this poor chick. Yeah. The medical examiner also ordered an analysis of Karen's organs for radioactive contamination. Yeah. And they found that most of the contamination was in her lungs, <gasps> suggesting that she had inhaled it. What? And some was in her gastrointestinal tract, suggesting that she had ingested the plutonium. Oh. So as to how she could have been, like, poisoned, poisoned by someone else. I mean, maybe if they had, like, a community fridge or something yeah. at the work. Yeah, got her food. Yeah, put it in her food. Or they said they found marijuana in her car. If someone was, like, just sprinkle it on there if she's inhaling it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's scary. Yeah. And police actually got suspicious at this point and decided to investigate the plant and found that 44 to 66 
pounds of plutonium had been, quote, misplaced. What? Yeah. Care McGee closed its nuclear fuel plants in 1975. Good. They're not very good at it. Yeah, obviously. And Karen has been considered a kind of martyr for unionists, whistleblowers, and people opposed to nuclear power. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't it? What would be her side effects of, like... Plutonium poisoning? Yeah. I'm not sure. I remember seeing a documentary back in the day of, like, the ladies that worked in... I don't remember where it was. Clock painting? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think it was that. And they would, like, paint their nails with it because it was glow in the dark and, and they stuff. would paint their teeth with it because they thought it was funny. Yeah. 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 And that shit's radioactive. Yeah. It, was that plutonium, though? I don't know. Yeah. I want to say it was, like, uranium or something. I know that sounds more right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember either. But some sort of radioactive shit that glows in the dark. Yeah. So then Karen's dad and kids filed a lawsuit against Karen McGee for negligence on behalf of Karen's estate. Uh-huh. And the trial was in 1979, lasting for 10 months. Oh, wow. The jury came back and found Karen McGee responsible for the contamination at the time of Karen's death. Wow. And they were ordered to pay $505,000 in damages. That's and, it? And $10 million in punitive damages. Oh, okay. I was like, God damn, she just got like fucking poisoned from that shit. Right. And during an appeal, they lowered the amount to $5,000, the what? amount that Karen would have lost in property at her rental home. What? Yeah. Why? Because that's... In her property? Yeah. Like, the amount, if she was sick during this amount of time, which was however long or whatever, however many months, mm-hmm. or however many months that she was contaminated. Yeah. Then they'll pay that rent, I guess. Oh, okay, rent. I was like, lost in property? She didn't have any damages to her home. Yeah. I, I considered it as rent, anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. In 1984, the Supreme Court then restored the original verdict, but Kara McGee oh, settled good. out of court for $1.38 million, but they still admitted no liability. Wow. Yeah. That's so, crazy. I mean, that's pretty much all we know. We don't oh really know gosh. what happened to her. But a little bit of a side note is that her kids were even split on their opinions of the whole matter. Really? Yeah. Her son said, I'm proud of mom. Whether she did it to become the kind of legend that she became is not really important. Like, he's proud of her for being a whistleblower, essentially. Yeah. And her daughter said, my belief is that she did what she did because she was a troublemaker. (gasps) I don't believe her intentions were as good as everybody said. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Yeah. But also, remember, she told her daughter that she was going out to buy cigarettes. That's true. I don't know if it was that daughter. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe not the best mom in the world. Yeah. Which maybe. I don't know. But isn't that fucking crazy? That is fucking crazy. Whether or not this company ran her off the road or whatever, she was still contaminated. Like they're still responsible for knowing where their fucking plutonium is and having safe shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No one should be able to steal plutonium from a nuclear plant. No. What are you talking about? And you you should ideally not get exposed to it because no one's going to fucking want to work there. Exactly. what? That's why your plant got closed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's wild. Isn't it? God damn. I thought it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I think there has been, like, movies made about it and stuff, which I did not watch. I probably should have, but... I'm so fascinated by, like, the nuclear power plant shit. Like, you know, the whole Chernobyl thing. And yeah. All that. I haven't watched the latest on, um, I think it's HBO. HBO. Yeah. He was watching it. But I've definitely gone through, like, the endless pictures and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Yeah, I haven't started Chernobyl yet. I have been told that it's really good. And uh-huh. I've seen that, like, 
on the internet and everything is saying that that's like really good better ratings and reviews and stuff than like game of thrones had even Ooh, and so I'm like, we'll have to watch it yeah i should really get on that but also it seems really heavy every night when i'm yeah. like just scrolling through shit and i'm like i don't know if i want to start this yeah, right this now this is a little intense yeah well and from what i've seen from what lee watches a lot of it is like you know not so much like the politics of it all like yeah. how you know, people came in and they were like, yo, this is really bad. And the company didn't want to release it to the public that this was really bad. So then they covered it up and made it worse. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, is kind of what this company did did to an extent until they got investigated and sued. Yeah. That they closed their doors. But Ooh. before that, they're like, there's this whistleblower saying that everything's unsafe. And they're like, no, she did that to herself. Yeah. Fuck Which, you. I mean, maybe. But also, how did she get the fucking plutonium to do that to herself? That's, yeah. That's a mistake on the plant. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. You put it. Yeah. Wow. Crazy, right? Wow. Really crazy. Yeah. That's lovely. God damn. Well, shit. This was a, this was a good one and a long one. Yeah. <laughs> mine was really short, so. Yeah, mine was long. <laughs> long as fuck. Should have been right. a Patreon. It evens out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, my turn's next for Patreon, huh? Yep. Shit. Speaking of Patreon, you guys should go check it out for as little as a dollar. Yeah. You can hear some extra episodes. You can find the link on our website, isgdpodcast.com. You can also find pictures relating yep. to our cases. Mm-hmm. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at isgdpodcast. Yep, yep, yep. You can email us if you have suggestions, questions, comments hate mail whatever you want whatever you got go buy some of our merch oh yeah we got merch on the website also but also our email is <laughs> isgdpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> sorry <laughs> just halfway through that it's like you but can't also, buy merch from email <laughs> let me finish what the fuck i was saying <laughs> subscribe else? rate and review if this is your first time joining us welcome welcome and thank you yeah for giving us a shot yeah in your ear holes Take a ride on this shit show. <laughs> also, you can send us mail at P.O. Box 2764, Spring Valley, California, 91979. Send that snail mail. Aaron mm -hmm. loves getting it. Yeah, dude. You hear Carl barking in the background? He's saying, send me mail. He's <laughs> really trying to trying hard to fucking not let us get murdered right now. Yeah, I appreciate that, Carl. Yeah, it's the neighbor. He's home. Great. <laughs> we got it, bud. Yeah. <laughs> all right we love you so much thanks for everything hey and i might have i will probably have a baby we've said this like on every episode yeah but i'm probably gonna have a baby really fucking soon because i am in fucking labor yeah as we'll we speak by the time this episode comes out you'll definitely have a baby yes uh, like legally by nature i must have had a baby by now yeah yeah oh it's gonna be so cute yeah i'll put pictures up on social media when it happens yeah well shortly after yeah, probably not when it happens. Yeah, I'm going to need a little time. Yeah, it's coming out. It's happening. I feel like we should do, like, Facebook Live while... Oh, my God. ...while I'm in labor. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll be like, Q&A. Yeah. What does it feel like? <laughs> well, it fucking sucks. Well, I think I'm dying, so yeah. there's that. <laughs> we'll do it after you get an epidural. Yeah, there you go. Then yeah. I'll just be like, oh, out of it. For the record, everybody, I've been having contractions every 30 minutes, which this will be edited down to like an hour, which is nothing for you, but we've been recording for like at least two and a half hours. <laughs> yep. She's a, she's 
bared with us through all of this. Yes, We've we made it. gone through a million contractions during this time. So worth it. I'm glad you came over and did this, though. Me too. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, the And thanks for letting is... me sit on your fancy chair. You're welcome. On a puppy pee pad. Yeah, did your water break? my water breaks. <laughs> no, it didn't. But it was better safe than sorry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Don't forget to put it in your car. I won't. On that lovely note, bye, people. Bye.